scripture this morning comes from Deuteronomy, the 8th chapter. Uh, Moses is getting ready to leave the people after they're uh, crossing the Red Sea and being together for 40 years. He gives them this reminder. Be careful to follow every command I am giving you so that you may live and increase and enter and possess the land that our God swore to your ancestors in an oath. Remember how the Lord your God led you all these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, in order to teach you that people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Father. Your clothes did not wear out. And your feet did not swell these 40 years. Know in your heart then that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. This is Father's Day. And the good news is that uh, my three children remembered. Uh, The bad news is there are other things I would like them to forget. I would like them to forget the time that one of them was engaged in a tennis match and my older brother and I were watching and when he came off the court, we just hounded him about his seemingly lackluster performance, his lack of energy and, and effort that he showed. And when we got home and took his temperature, he had 105. I hope they'll forget the time that another one of my sons was involved in a sport. And again, we were chiding him about about his performance, only to find out 72 hours later that he had played with a broken arm. Those are things I hope they forget. But I hope there'll be some things they remember. Things that came from lectures or groundings or restrictions or enforced study habits. Things that came through what we might call discipline. For you see, the, the purpose of discipline, wise people know, is not punishment for something that was done in the past. But real discipline is preparation for what will come in the future. So when your young children want to wander out in the middle of the street where there can be traffic, perhaps you discipline them. Not for what they have done, but because the next time they may be tempted to wander out into the street, there may be cars going by. Or when they stick their hand in the oven when it's off, you discipline them. Because the next time they want to stick their hand in the oven, it may be on. It's not so much a punishment for the past. It's a preparation for the future. And we learn so much through disciplines, uh, through instruction and correction that prepare us for the days ahead. And then as uh, wise parents, I think my goal is is an independence for my children, that they'll make good and, and right decisions. And they'll function well out in the world. Well, one of the things I do share with uh, God's parenting is this. God also parents through discipline. God said through Moses, Know in your heart then that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. And the desert and the 40 years in the desert were a discipline for the people. Now, we have long, I think, been taught and believed, and there is some truth to this, that their time in the discipline in the desert was a punishment. Because when they got on the verge of the promised land after they'd escaped Egypt, they sent 12 spies into the promised land. And uh, they all came back. And 10 came back with what was called a bad report. They said, yeah, it's, it's great land. 
It's a land of milk and honey. Milk means you could have sheep, goats, whatever. You could take care of animals. And then the honey reminds that you could have a vineyard. You could have crops. So it'll work for all that. But he said, there are the giants living there. And the cities are well fortified. We can't do it. Two spies, Joshua and Caleb, said, we can do it. God's with us. Chapter 14, the people think about it for a very brief time. And they say, no, we can't. We need to go back to Egypt. And you'll recall God said, well, all right, then you'll spend 40 years in this hot, miserable, hostile, dangerous territory we call the desert. And I think for so long we thought that was a punishment for their lack of faith in God to take them into the promised land. But the reality, I think, is they weren't ready to go into the promised land with so little faith. Not knowing the Lord our God very well, they weren't ready to go into an uncertain future. Their discipline became a preparation for the days ahead, much more than a punishment for some day that was past. So for 40 years in the desert, in the hostile territory, what did they see? Well, when they were thirsty, they saw water from a rock. When they were hungry, they saw bread rain down from heaven for 40 years. When they saw people bitten by snakes, they saw the people healed. They saw victory over scorpions. They saw the fact that their clothes never wore out in 40 years. And though they wore just very small and thin sandals, like maybe a strip or two of leather tied together, their feet did not swell in the 40 years. They saw a God who could protect and provide. And so the main lesson of the desert for them was about trust in God. They learned about God. I wanted to just walk you real quick through two of the miracles that Moses mentioned just to kind of show you how it works. First miracle Moses talks about is manna. They got hungry and for 40 years, six days a week, God gave them food. And on the sixth day, gave them enough for the seventh so that they wouldn't be out working on the Sabbath. Now, this was so unprecedented that when the bread fell from heaven, they didn't know what to call it. And so manna basically means, what is it? Or in one translation, whatchamacallit. They had no idea. Never seen anything like this before. The way God acted, completely unprecedented. And yet it came with regularity. Every day except the Sabbath, they could count on this God to act in those ways for them. The lesson of manna. And then there was a lesson about their clothes. Now, now the Bible doesn't give great detail about the clothes, but though the rabbis commented on it, and one of the things uh, they commented on uh, was the way the clothes kind of stayed fresh and new. Uh, A few days ago, I was wearing a shirt that I'd actually bought before I went to Israel a couple years ago for the desert, and it was a dry-fit shirt, so I could sweat in it all day long, wash it in the sink, and it would be ready to wear the next morning. So I was explaining to people how, uh, why that was necessary. Well, they didn't have that. What did they have? The rabbis taught that when the cloud of God led them, the cloud would rain on them, and when the cloud rained on their clothes, it would renew and freshen their clothes. Don't know if it happened that way, but that's interesting. Well, what about the kids? What about the kids who for 40 years got taller and taller and older and older? The rabbis taught that their clothes grew with them. They just got renewed and grew with them. I don't know. doesn't say that in the Bible. But what I see about God in these two stories are this. In manna, God acted in a completely unprecedented way. God went way beyond what they would have imagined. God acted in a totally new way. And then with the clothes... God took what they already had and renewed it. Now think about it. More than 20 years ago, I was with a group of men in a a weekly study. 
And you, you know men. You know how important our jobs are to our identity, to our worth, uh, to our sense of well-being. And in that group, there were a couple of men really struggling with their job. And they would have liked to quit, but the opportunity just wasn't there. For one of the men, manna just rained one day. He was attending a conference he didn't want to attend with people he didn't like really to hang around. And he met a vendor there who offered him a job in a completely different line of business, a better environment with more income just out of the blue. And he took it. Now, there was another man in our group who prayed just as hard with the rest of us that God would take him out of a job that he didn't like. He felt ill-suited for it. But nothing seemed to happen. Then one day, he said, I heard from God. God said, I'm not going to give you a new job, but I'm going to make the job you do more meaningful. And suddenly, there were about five or six guys at work who were anywhere from five to 10 or 12 years younger than he was, who started coming up at different times asking him for advice about their marriage or about raising their children. And other life decisions. And he found that he ended up mentoring a whole group of guys. And he found new energy going to work each day. For one, God acted completely out of the blue. Whatchamacallit? I don't know what it is. I never anticipated it. And for the other, God just freshened it up. And God works in those ways. The lesson of the desert is you can trust God to provide and care for you. And you will need this lesson Moses taught. Because where you're going, you haven't been before. And when you're going into new days and new terrain, the old roadmaps you used to use don't carry you very far. You need that sort of heavenly GPS to guide you. And your trust in God will do that. But the other thing Moses noted was this. And I didn't uh, recite for you these scriptures, but one of the things he says a few verses later is, you're going to get the promised land and you're going to enjoy wells that you didn't dig and crops you didn't really plant. You're going to inherit all this stuff and you're going to think you're pretty good. And you're going to say to yourselves, we did it. Look what we did. He said, you will forget God. One of the dangers of the promised land was prosperity and what it does to us and how it convinces us that we are God. That it was our education. It was our wisdom. It was our prudence. It was our skill that got us to where we are. And that's as dangerous as a poisonous snake bite and as hunger or thirst in the desert. And so you needed to learn the lesson of trust before you go there so you know in your heart that it's not you who's doing all this. It's God who's done it all along. And I don't know if you've had that experience where something happens to your life and you realize you're not really as smart as you thought you were. You know, back until October, I thought I was the master of retirement. I was on target. I had a plan. I'm not so smart after all. Other people been in jobs or situations they thought were pretty good till they got sick. And they couldn't do them. And they realized how they really got and kept those jobs in the first place. And then there are others, tragically, who have lost a loved one who realized their ability to care had limits. My ability to protect people I love only goes so far. The lessons of the desert, they're painful. But they teach trust. They teach that we're not God, that God is God, and that God will care for us. I mean, how many of you have been able to make it rain? If you are, would you please do so? You can't. How many of you can make bread out of nothing? You can't. There are limits to your ability. But there's no limit to God in the desert. You learn that. You you learn there are no self-made men. There are no self-made women. 
There's just a bunch of us dependent on God for our every single breath. And when you learn that, then you're ready for the next move. You're ready for the promised land. But not until then. Not until then. I hope that your experience in life has taught you about a God who can be trusted, a God who will come through for you, a God who provides in ways that are unexpected and ways that are really quite normal. But if you haven't, let me appeal maybe to your reason for a moment. The things I think I know about God are this. Number one, God is a whole lot smarter than I am. God knows things I don't even know enough to ask questions about. Number two, God's more powerful than I am. There's more power in God's pinky finger, the rabbis taught, than in all the universe. And I believe that. And then lastly, God's more loving than I am. God loves me and loves my family more than I do. So wouldn't it just be a, just a smart bet to place your life in the hands of someone who knows more than you, can do more than you, and cares more than you care? Wouldn't it just make sense to do that? In the desert, we learn that so that when we get out of the desert, we won't forget. The story is told of King Canute. King Canute lived a little less than a thousand years ago. He ruled Denmark, Norway, Sweden, a large part of Britain. And uh, the story is told about a century later by a biographer, Henry of Huntingdon, who in the 12th century says that one day... Uh, his courtiers were telling him just how great he was and just how powerful he was. They said, you know, sir, the, the waves obey your command. He thought he'd put that to a test. So he had his throne carried out to the seashore and he sat in it and he commanded the waves to stop. But they kept rolling in. Commanded the waves again to stop. And they kept rolling in. Commanded the waves a third time to stop. And they kept rolling in. Canute the first got off his throne went back into the palace, took off his crown, placed it on the cross where he said it rightfully belonged, and left it there the rest of his days. The lesson of the sea for him was that he wasn't God, and he wasn't really king. Someone else it was. And that's the lesson of the desert as well.